This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Balls. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as I'm sure it will always be, barring any incident at all, is Lyle Fulton. And I am joined, as I obviously hope I always will be, by the absolutely brilliant Jackie Balls. The effervescent i've used this word before Jackie Rawls today looking wonderful jackie how are you this fine thursday afternoon it's thursday again okay because the schedule's changing how are you how has your week been how are you feeling this slightly dreary given the weather we've had recently thursday afternoon how are you getting on i'm good thank you it's really weird i've been getting back into the sort of general kind of hubbub of post-wedding life and i think what people don't warn you about when you've just got married is all the connections that you make when you're at your wedding and everyone's saying we must do this we must meet up more we must see each other more because you don't see everybody at the wedding so I've been sort of in this sort of weirdly social flurry which I haven't had for such a long time of uh, people saying let's do dinner let's do lunch let's do this let's do that and I'm like looking at my calendar going I've never done all this kind of socializing in such a, a long time so but that's great. I mean, it's lovely. It's all sort of friendships rekindled. So many things, not rekindled, but you know what I mean? Friendships yeah, yeah. back in the forefront of your of your thoughts. So, yeah, it's all good. Riding the wave of what was an absolutely brilliant day is how I would describe that. And quite right, too. And it was, and it was somebody at my day, the lovely Lerone, who introduced us to the lovely Chloe. Segway klaxon ringing loud and clear. I did the Segway. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm both, I'm equal parts proud and absolutely devastated because I was so ready for the absolute beauty <laughs> of the Segway. I had loaded up and ready to rock and roll and you've jumped in, but I'm also very proud, always very proud of the Segway coming in from Jackie. Brilliant stuff. You're absolutely spot on. I was in fact <laughs> sat next to an individual by the name of Lerone at Jackie's wedding. He's a fantastic person brilliant brilliant man and he'll be very embarrassed that we've mentioned his name on the podcast but you're absolutely right it was Lerone who introduced us to the absolutely brilliant Chloe Davis and Chloe Davis is with us on the podcast this afternoon welcome Chloe now I did warn you before we went live that I was going to do a really really horrid not horrid but really really glowing and as a result embarrassing introduction first things first and we probably should have done this before we went live but it's live podcasting davis or davies 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 there you go the welsh version yeah welsh version and i should have known that because my wife's maiden name is davies as well alison davis (laughs) got that right so she's now gonna be really really upset with me Thank you so much. Chloe, here we go. As I as I warned you, I would do. Embarrassing introduction incoming. I mean, it's embarrassing only for Chloe listeners, because when I wrote this, it's just extraordinary. Strap in, because this is incredible. Chloe is a global inclusion and belonging consultant. She's a chef, an entrepreneur, and she's an incredibly committed campaigner for inclusion and equality across all spaces, business, you name it. She's also a member of Badassery, which is a private global community that empowers unconventional thought leaders to push boundaries, magnify their influence and spread their life's passion. She's a member of the WACL, which is Women in Advertising and Communications Leadership. It goes on, listeners. In September 2021, she took on a first of its kind role in becoming the head of social impact for Lucky Generals. On top of all of this, Chloe, you're an ambassador for the MHFA, Mental Health First Aid, a director of the London LGBTQ Plus Community Centre Project, 
a founder of It Takes a Village, which we're going to talk about first things first on this episode, which is a collective for black women in advertising, media and marketing. <gasps> you think I'm done? <laughs> I'm not done. There's more. She's a campaign 2023 40 over 40 honoree, a 2023 BBDA finalist, and she was one of LinkedIn's top voices in 2022. I'm probably not done, but I'm going to go there. Jackie's, Jackie's going to go and, and a mum. And a mum. Crucially, a mum. And that is a very, very yeah. important point as well. Fantastic point. Almost the most important point because Chloe's lovely seven-year-old son as well is around in the vicinity he of the is. podcast recording. So he may join us and we're, we're very excited for that. Chloe, embarrassing 30 seconds <laughs> situation over for the time being. How are you this fine Thursday? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. It's, I hate, you know, I'm sat here, my cheeks are going high up into my face. I hate when anyone kind of reels off the what do you do the cv resume whatever you call it i'm i i i mean this is a thing that my therapist when someone says you know how do you manage to do all that you do and i'm like that's what my therapist is for you know we're working through that i just you know i i like to be invested in community it's what soothes my soul and what kind of drives my passions so at one point i never really noticed how much i was doing or what i was connected to it just made sense and I think that's been my work ethic. I kind of multitask and do a lot of different things. So that's really how I ended up here, you know, fresh face. But I, I've been working for 26 years. So you've done a Cliff Notes version of 26 years worth of work. <laughs> and I'm very, very glad I did it. But thank you so much for being such a brilliant sport and, and listening to my embarrassing <laughs> introduction, as it always is. But first things first, Chloe, obviously. We talked a little bit about your career so far. It's been an incredible career, you know, over 26 years of work. It Takes a Village, we spoke a little bit about as well there in the introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to work in the space you work in now and how you came to found It Takes a Village and the work it's been up to recently? Yeah, sure. So, oh my God, it's a labour of love. It was an idea almost seven years ago now. I, you know, started, oh my God, my career is... I started in music. My very first job was at Tower Records in Piccadilly Circus. And I wanted to be a music manager. That's actually what my degree was, music industry management marketing. But my mum was the first black department manager at Peter Jones in Sloan Square. I was the youngest trainee manager at 17. And my both my parents are fashion designers. My dad used to be the designer and run a store called Carnaby Cabin in Carnaby Street. In the 70s yeah and um, you know used to dress loads of musicians so I come from a musically creative fashion background and kind of had done that worked in retail for about 16 years went to school on the King's Road not because we were bougie we lived in Walthamstow which at that time was the back end of civilization. I stand <laughs> on what I say um, but you could go to school in the borough that your parents worked and uh, because mum worked at Peter Jones and dad was at HMSO in Vauxhall. That's why my brother and I both got to go to school in Kensington and Chelsea. And so if you kind of knew what the world was like then, it was very much a creative fashion. And you would bump into, you know, some of the best designers, musical talent, creatives anywhere on the King's Road. And I'd always been somebody that kind of was kind of in and out of all the friend groups. I never really had like one group. I think my mum just calls me a bit of a social butterfly. 
and I kind of had been thinking all of these thoughts, you know, how do I show up? I've been out since I was 15. I'm bisexual. And at Peter Jones on my first day on the 2nd of October, 1999, they said one in two men here are gay. So if that's something that you're not comfortable with, this might not be the place for you, which was incredible. My bisexual identity had so much freedom and where I faced knocks more often than not was my womanhood and my blackness. And, you know, being a manager at a very young age, being, I guess now we call it a Nepo baby, but my mum is African. So it was literally like, you start work, don't embarrass me. And I'm not going to give you any favours. I so got no... A slightly <laughs> different vibe of a Nepo no. baby, I would, I would say, to be fair to you. <laughs> no favours. So, you know, I'd been a hard worker and almost kind of had the shadow of her but had seen how hard she struggled. It took her 16 years to actually get the title, though she'd been doing the role. And it's something that you've seen played out a lot throughout my career. I've been in situations where I've been the only Black woman, the only person of colour. As my career has gone and I've become more senior, the landscape gets fewer and far between, and it can sometimes be very, very lonely. But the beauty of working, especially in in retail, and especially for someone like uh, John Lewis, was that I think I worked in almost every department apart from large electrical and furniture because I found them very boring. Um, (laughs) But strategy is the name of the game for me. And so I always wanted to look at how we could make the departments more profitable. And so I would come out with weird and wacky ideas of how we could promote things. I helped introduce actual sewing classes at Peach Jones, which they then went on to do at Oxford Street using the John Lewis. We did handbag making classes and dress making classes. That's what I grew up with. My, you know, my my family are, are are designers. So it was how could I put that into the work? And I do that everywhere I go. I'm, my brain is always thinking about, you know, how can how how can we add to this? What more can we do? And so kind of being brand side, and I've worked with some of the biggest and best brands in the world and run multi-million departments, you know, to different, you know, not only in retail, but standalone stores. I kind of knew what a brand wanted, but I'd never actually been in-house. I did a few stints in community work. I work for diversity role models. I went to my chi work. I started as their head of PR and partnerships and then became their head of training and engagement. Uh, incredible organization that does such great work collectively while I was there, helped them grow from 85 businesses to two, just over 252 when I left. I think they now have close to 400 businesses, not only global organizations, but also LGBTQ plus organizations who get to have a free page on the website and their community can really find and connect with them. We were saying off camera, Jackie, my eldest son, Miles, is autistic. And so we were very much starting the journey of kind of trying to get him from mainstream school to a specialist provision. That was two years ago. And so I just wanted to take a break. I was, you know, reassess. I'd been working for everybody else for a very long time. Hadn't really worked out what it was that I wanted to do. And I was just going to take, I was just going to take summer off. I have a really great friend. His name is Rich Miles. Here comes Miles, my mom. And um, and he is the founder and CEO of Diversity Standards Collective. And so I'd been a consultant with the DSC. And he called me and he said, so 
uh, I've, I've seen this job. I'm working with this agency. I've seen this job. It's I had a social impact role for a place called Lucky Generals. It's a brand new role. And I really think, you know, it's it's basically your job. And I was like, no, Rich, no. <laughs> <laughs> taking this up, taking somewhere off. I'm not, I'm not working. And he was like, no, you should really, really go for it. I was like, no, no. I actually was quite happy I'm not going to do this. And, uh, and he went, no, 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 please, just apply for it. Like, I think you'd be perfect for it. Would you like me to open a biscuit? No, nope. he said, no, I think you'd be perfect for it. I said, okay. So I applied. There was somebody else already in post. And I said, well, I'm, that's, that's really mean. Like, I, I, I couldn't do that. He said, just go for it. So I applied. I had a very robust recruitment. Very multitasking. I'm opening the no, digestion. Great. This is great. This is the first instance I think we've ever had of, like, you talking about assuming a first of its kind role at a major organization yeah. whilst opening biscuits I think is just yeah. actually sums oh this up perfectly digestives yeah so I met press the MD first and we were both working mums both had two children fighting the good fight I thought okay this I see a thing here this connects then I met Helen uh so Lucky Jam was obviously has three founders uh Helen female founder Helen and I both have PCOS, have gone through similar struggles in life. It's very much a kismet, you know, a, a woman that is at the forefront of really leading the way and, and trying to, you know, get ahead and create space for people. And I thought, oh, okay, kindred spirit. So that was her. Next stage then made, thank you very much. Next stage, ladies and gentlemen and ladies, this is mine. Hi, Miles. <laughs> Hi, Miles. <laughs> um, made it to stage three. Um, I met Andy Nen, the great Andy Nen, planning and strategy guru. Thanks. Thank you very much. And we didn't have the best start to my interview now. You have to remember that this is 2021, uh, so we're still very much in COVID times. And his laptop didn't work, couldn't find his charger, Batchy was running out on the phone. In the end, he texted and said, can we just speak like old fashioned on a phone? Said, great. Was absolutely in tears of laughter when, when I finally got through to him on the phone. And I thought, okay. And he said to me when we were on the call, he said, oh, it will be great when you come on board because we've all got girls and you've got boys. And I said, Andy, that's great, but I'm going to need a contract first. Um, so, I, so, so I thought, okay, this this seems like you know this is this is going okay. And then my role shifted slightly. Lucky's one Virgin Atlantic and another account that was very much looking at this through a, a sustainability lens. And they came back and said, "Is that something that you are you know you're well versed in?" Which I am. So it adapted and expanded my role slightly. And then I met Danny uh, Brooke-Taylor, DBT, as he's known to many. And we were having a Zoom call and Miles came in first. And uh, I mean, I'm surprised my children have clothes on today because normally that's not how this goes. And Miles came in and he just looked who mummy was talking to and just went, mm, okay, and then left. Uh, my younger son, Theo, came in. And uh, Danny and I had, you know, been having this kind of putting the world to rights and, you know, really kind of we're on the path to change the world. And Theo came in and, and DBT said, oh, who's this? And I said, oh, it's Theo. And he said, oh, OK, hi, Theo. It's nice to meet you. And I was like, Theo, this is 
Danny, mummy's hoping that he's going to be her new boss. And Danny went, absolutely. And then I said, Danny's Theo. And then Theo went, yes, mummy. And they had like this moment through the screen. And I was like, okay, there we go. Four for four, we're finished. And it was the best roles I think I could ever have gone for. It really, everything that I had done up until this point made sense in my head of this ability to be able to really shape how we tell our stories. You know, we always talk about our industry that we are storytellers, but we are actually the custodians of people's stories. That's what I believe. You know, if you work anywhere in in our industry in advertising, if you're in-house or out of house, you have a duty of care, especially when you're agency side, to make sure that not only you tell the right stories but you tell them transparently and honestly and with those communities not on the community's behalf which we've done I wouldn't always say incorrectly but we've done for a very very long time and got used to doing that and actually it's time to change where we haven't necessarily created the space for people to have their voices heard I think that is our duty of care to be able to do that now and I think especially post George Floyd at the time when everywhere in the world had all been put on their backside and really had to think about what does it mean when we talk about black talent? How do we actually shape it, retain it, and then really reward it, but also help it to thrive in our businesses? The industry collectively put their heads above the parapet and said, we actually want to be part of that change. And Lucky Generals was one of those agencies that had already started this journey of looking at how they do that, they've created marching forward. And my role was an evolution of that really, of they'd already done a year's worth of work. And, you know, my role came in at year two. And we had two incredible years of working, not only for the London office, but also for New York. And, you know, I got to do some amazing stuff while I was there. My very first body of work that I got to work on, strangely enough, I knew I had the role at June, of uh, 2021 but didn't officially start until September but they had invited me to come and basically just hot desk one day a week if I wanted to and I was you know it was it gave me a great opportunity to meet the team ahead of the time and really just feel like I actually was part of the organization that of kind of coming in blind being the new girl in September and so I've got massive ears everybody knows I've got bat ears I got my grandmother's <laughs> hearing and um I was listening, I overheard our strap partner with, oh, he, well, he's now our senior strap uh, manager in the team. And they were basically talking about some Amazon work and they were kind of looking at this brief that was looking at anxiety post COVID-19. And so, you know, they're really kind of just, they got a bit stuck and I was, you know, I basically just went, oh, I'm an ambassador for Mental Health First Aid England. I've got some people that you could speak to. And so that ended up being the first body of work that I ever worked on. It was Amazon Kindness, which was an intergenerational conversation between two black women through the lens of kindness post COVID-19, that one gift, this gift being a bird feeder, could actually really help shape someone's life. It was an incredible advert, cried every time. It was so powerful to be able to see black women in such a beautiful way there were so many light touches so many nuances that you could see yourself and I felt so proud then 
one of our creative team basically said, oh, you know, Adele's new album is about to come out, this hotly awaited album, 30, and she's got this track. You know, she's such an amazing advocate for mental health. Maybe we could ask her if she'd let us use it. And so they did. And she said yes. And so we got to preview Hold On, which made the advert even more incredible. And I think what really cemented my role and that actually I'm in the place that I'm supposed to be doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing is she waved her feet. And so I suggested, do you think that the brand would match funds? She's such an incredible advocate. And they did. So we ended up getting a million dollars donated to mental health charities around the globe. Oh my goodness. And that's that's basically what I I Your felt first... like I got put there to do was my first body of work. I got to do amazing work for Supla, Co-op, Tiny Touches on Bedhead. And my role looked across all of our clients. So internally, how we truly build an inclusive culture for London and New York, alongside the three founders and the two MDs. Externally, across their entire client footprint. And this might be a brand might have a specific DNI question, or actually they just want to sense check something. It might be that we help build out a little bit of other strategy or that I will be on an account from start to finish. Uh, sustainability was the third pillar. And then obviously by that lovely bio that you did for me earlier, I do a lot. I volunteer, um, you know, for amazing organisations like UK Black Pride and London Queer Fashion Show. So I had this ability to be able to not only engage the communities that I served and that I showed up in, but how could we create bridges and pathways into our work? And so being able to bring incredible speakers into Lucky's, being able to have new talent that we might not have looked at before, or maybe not had the connection in the community to, that was, you know, something that we were able to do. And, you know, obviously, as everybody knows, my child at Lucky Generals was our Virgin Atlantic account. It's my mum's favourite airline. So she was very clear, don't mess this up for me. My godbrother was senior cabin crew. So very much a brand that our family had loved and cherished and, you know, nurtured. And so to be able to be part of the team to work on, you know, see the world differently and runway and a runway, I think is was something that, was that Did you work on that that advert with the, the song I love behind it? And I think one of my friends, I mean, I'm, yeah. one of my friend's friends is the first person you see in that advert. Oh my God, amazing. I'm, I'm from had... background, so I'm, I, I, I'm like sort of friends with lots of actors and I think she's the first person you see as this as the stewardess. I think she's the one kind of looking at Yeah, amazing. Audience. We had 14 cast members and it was really important to make sure that we showed not only the difference of people yeah. and nuance, but that actually people could really see themselves. We worked, you know, the teams were incredible. Again, we worked with the DSC to just pick up wardrobe and language you know I had the ability to go through the script with our amazing BD that worked on it Matt Sims he's an absolute you know gem of a person um and so yeah we just I really got to do something that actually had that ripple effect alongside the rest of the team and continues to have that ripple effect it's nine airlines and counting who have Wow. changed their uniform policy 
and my argument was not not to include the LGBTQ plus community. But when we talk about inclusion, we should be talking about everybody. You just understand the nuance that different communities bring up and it's actually having your language and education around what those barriers might be and how do you help break them down. And so my argument had very much been when we were looking to uniform was my first foray in managerhood when I was 17 at John Lewis, they basically told you women wore skirts and men wore trousers. Anybody that remembers what Peter Jones uniform used to look like, it was a delicious shade of apple green with <laughs> with uh, navy blue squares, like little tiny navy blue squares. That was the shirt. And then you could wear like a navy blue skirt. That was the uniform. But when you became a manager, you could wear a suit. I wanted to wear the coast trouser suit. It was this sexy three-piece <laughs> trouser suit, which went against John Lewis's uniform policy. And I had to go and ask permission from our managing director, Paul Hunt, to make an exception to be able to wear the trousers, which they then changed the whole uniform policy. So not my first, not my first reign. It was very much, you know, how we can ex express ourselves isn't always just LGBTQ+, isn't always just woman thing or a male thing. It's actually people. Clothing has no gender. You know, my mum is Nigerian. You know, where we come from back home, men wear traditional cloths and they may wear, you know, a badder and it looks to many, it might look like a dress. So it really was changing the nuance and the language around that. And there's still actually, so much work is, to do. This is something that I know like Jackie and I have spoken about that we were both really interested in. And Jackie might have a question here as well. But what I found really interesting when I was kind of doing my research before my big bio <laughs> um, is is this idea of, it's not even an idea, it's, it's, it's manifest in, in real yeah. time, is global inclusion and belonging consultant. And actually inclusion to me, reads mm -hmm. diversity, reads, you know, inclusion based on sexuality, you know, things like that, you know, ethnicity. But belonging, what you've spoken about there, to me, sounds a bit more like the kind of belonging side of things, which is actually like what you feel, what every individual in a workplace feels most comfortable in, um, ensuring that they feel like they're a part of something and that they're being supported to be part of that. I mean, is that something that you were really keen to make sure was part of your sort of consultancy job title and it sounds to me like it's been something that you've always been really really committed to ensuring is present in every workplace in, in in every piece of work you've done I think you know once upon a time I knew what it was like to not feel like I belonged anywhere and that you know specifically came from inside my family a bad thing uh, happened when I was 14 and my cousin who was my best friend in the whole world completed suicide and it detrimentally knocked our family and when it happened everybody you know said well maybe we should ask Chloe and and I spoke my truth and it was a bit hard for everyone to hear and I they told me to be quiet and I silenced myself for 10 years until my body told me look enough is enough and you know you need to kind of take note and I, I had my first full physical emotional and mental breakdown I had my first episode and so I think from 14 knowing what it means to belong somewhere and then having that taken away and then experiencing that I would be honest throughout my career whether that be 
for my bisexuality or my womanhood or my blackness. It's something that has followed my career. It's it's not something that I that I have a chip on my shoulder for. You know, my dad told me at nine, you're black and you're female. It's going to be harder for you than it is for a lot of other people. So don't grow up with a chip on your shoulder. There's nothing that you can't do unless you try. And that has been my life mantra. But when you know the difference, I think it then almost became like a internal thing that obviously was very quiet at the beginning and now is just living and breathing in its noise of, oh, so this is, this is what you do. It's about how we create those spaces. It's about how we allow people to tap into that language. What does it actually mean to come together in a space? What does it mean to belong somewhere? And understanding that belonging doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we all work together as a family and everybody, you know, it's a family here because I'll be honest, not all families, you don't like all the members of your family. So let's just be honest, it, it, it happens. And so, you know, it's about if you're working somewhere that is too corporate, too rigid, and there's no fun, there's no way for people to come together and connect. People aren't talking to each other, they aren't communicating. How do we get around that? You know, how do we how do we all just find a way to talk to each other? And um, I think everybody knows that I can talk for England now. <laughs> no, we're loving, um, we're loving so, it. Yeah, so, awesome. it's, loving. so it really just, it just became very much a, how do we help other people do this? And I think this is one of the most powerful things that I got to do with my G-Work, especially, you know, moving from kind of PR and partnerships to training and engagement. And, you know, we created, I think it's now its fourth year, but summer of 2020, third year, actually, summer of 2020, we created Collectively Work Pride, which was five days, five themes, 52 sessions. We, re- we managed to reach 20,000 people around the globe. Of those 52 sessions, I hosted 48, I think. And so it's to be able to talk to people to bring them together you know if if I've got any superpowers I think that's one of mine although I'm still trying to work out what you know what that is I just I just like to talk to people so it was really about that how can we find ways for us to talk to our audiences and I think that's how I ended up in advertising kind of made sense I've worked everywhere else and now it went okay so this is the stability and you know it was an incredible two years, incredibly fast. Our industry is so fast. Our, our industry is also very emotional. Our issues are not skill-based. We might have a thing of resource, but our issues are mostly emotionally based because it's creatives. And yeah. every creative, no matter whether they are loud, introvert, extrovert, everybody is emotional. Everybody is passionate about their craft in completely different ways. So when you put together 50, 100, 200 creatives all together, everybody's going to have an opinion. Everyone's going to have a thought process. You know, it's not going to follow any logical path. It's just going to be an emotional one, which I wish someone had explained more before I came in-house because I'm an empath and I just needed needed to have better shields. Because I came in and went, ooh, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was about day two. 
and I called Rich and I was like, I think I made a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure, but I did. I, I I do remember day three kind of knuckled down and thought, okay, what could I potentially do here? Like what does, what does good, what does better and what does best look like for me? And I think, you know, that there is so much more to have reached my best, but there was absolutely so much better that I was able to do in that role for two years. And I I think that's where the hum for It Takes a Village came from, if I'm really honest. Which we're going to ask you about now, which which is amazing. But I I was just actually going to make a quick point, which is that um, hosting 48 out of 52 talks, um, whilst Mm. also doing all these other things, uh, and also being a mother, doesn't half remind me of someone who I'm quite close to. Someone, someone I know hosts exactly. a lot of talks that she. Someone I know organizes and then hosts a lot of the talks that she organizes. I'm not looking at anybody. <laughs> okay, that's enough. <laughs> Take the flowers, Jackie. Take them. Take the flowers. <laughs> Take the flowers. Um, I mean, let's. I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about yeah. it. I mean, I know, like, we're both very, very keen and, and intrigued by this. Let's talk a little bit about, but with like, kind of through the prism of a wider question as well. It takes a village because it takes a village is obviously a collective. Um, I, I mentioned it earlier on in the bio, my brilliant bio of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fall on my sword here about how brilliant this bio again. was. Um, <laughs> but founder of It Takes Vision, which is you know, a, a collective for Black women advertising, media and marketing, which you've mentioned as well. And it's obviously something you founded um, very, very recently indeed. Obviously something very, very close to your heart. I'm going to ask you kind of how you came to found that, the work it's been doing recently, but also the wider question of its part in what I believe is an improving landscape when it comes to but how much is it improving how can it improve more and is it improving quickly enough if you see what I mean and that's a very very big question and it's kind of two questions but I'm just really intrigued and I'd, I'd love you to tell us more about about how you came to found it really yeah so I many moons ago I was a volunteer please don't hold it against me as a volunteer from Pride in London I'd been in an organization for a number of years and when I left I was deputy director of community engagement And I think it gave me the space to really harness community engagement in a way that I understood and could tap into. And it absolutely was such an incredible volunteer role to have been able to have done at the time, you know, to have the very first by float in 46 years, have intersex number three. You know, I, I, I really hoped that we could bring community together. And whilst I didn't leave... Uh, for great reasons, but many of which the rest of the world found out two years ago when a lot of other directors and um, and other people left Pride in London. I had had an idea at that time, and the very first person that I told was our director of comms, whose name is James Holt, and he's uh, now the ED for Archerwell Foundation and a really dear friend of mine. And I'd had this idea that I wanted to combine my love of food as a chef. I obviously was doing community engagement, so I was thinking about how we could engage more in community. I'm a talker, so, you know, it's always one of the dreams was to be a chat show host. So I thought I wanted to create something that was a cross between Saturday Kitchen, John Bishop, because I loved his set and it's a great show, and Oprah, because go big or go home. And so it was really this idea of, I wanted to call it Breaking Bread, because 
collectively within black community break bread over food and you share community with people and the whole idea was that you know whilst either someone was cooking or over a plate of food very much in black culture it's the idea of the table and so you know you might have six or eight chairs around the table somebody throws out a topic the people that want to talk about it go and sit on the table and then you kind of have a discussion and then you jump off. So all of these different things that I'd been doing, lots of different capacities, you know, that was the idea. And then obviously left and life changed and it got stuck in about three notebooks because I had different working versions of it. I always write stuff down. I'm, I'm not digital. I like an old school thin biro pen scented if I could find it. And um <laughs> Yeah, it kind of just came to me. I went to Australia earlier this year. I had a tiny bit of agency work and a couple of speaking engagements, but I was also there to support Lady Phil, who was speaking for World Pride in Sydney and had an experience of a trip for, you know, I was there for two two weeks, sorry, I should say. And then it kind of just came to me when I came home and I thought, Actually, I've kind of worked it out now of what that very first idea was supposed to be. It's about, you know, creating this space. And, you know, we very much say it takes a village to raise a child. So that's where that was. And I'm I'm a product of my village. I'm a product of my environment, the people that I have around me. So again, it was like, yes, this makes sense. And I think really, you know, whilst the needle has moved on for or I'm I'm not sure it has, I guess I'm being divisive. One could say that when we're asking the question like you have, has the needle moved on for black talent in our industry, especially black woman talent in our industry? I kept finding myself in different versions of myself. And by that is that I kept finding women who were pushed to the very limits of who they were, or they were on the edge of burnout, or they were swimming in burnout and just putting a plaster on top of it. Women who were delivering as much as they could deliver and masking and nobody had any clue. And yet faced with their counterparts were really, really struggling. You know, some were really underpaid. Others were going through, you know, discriminatory things that I wish I could say, wasn't happening but we know is still happening it just kind of pushed under the covers a bit more and so it really just became this kind of call to action internally okay well fine what are you going to do about it you know it what are you going to do about it and I think it was very much I just used you know the last eight nine ten years of my career my address book and went okay it's go time people and I uh I text James and said I've worked it out worked it out this is what I want to do and uh he said love it great you know whatever you whatever you need I'm here to support you which is absolutely incredible you know to have great people around you that really see you for who you are and want to amplify and shout out to Lerone for obviously giving me this opportunity it's that's that is exactly what I mean and so it's about how we could create that for other women, how we could create that for people who want to be that person for somebody else, but don't necessarily know how they can do that. And the only way that you can really start to do that is if you understand the landscape with which we are talking about. And in this perspective is black women in advertising, media and marketing. 
there is no singular data for our community. There is lots of data that's come from the US and there is might be singular data possibly for advertising or possibly for comms, but not collectively. And we 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 swim in each other's ocean far too much. We're not their own separate. Like we actually all work and collaborate together and there are lots of different ways. You can work in comms and never work in advertising, but you're still part yeah. of the comms industry. So it, it's really about how we make that shift. And so we have three pillars to be heard, to be centered and to be celebrated. And really we have spent, you know, it's we, we started in earnest well, I registered us in April, but we started in earnest in June and we're working on our research survey, which will be coming out shortly because there is no data. So we're going to start from the data. We have to start from the work. We can't talk about it if we don't actually know about it. There's a stake in the ground. There's nothing to measure against without a stake in the ground. Yeah. How do you Absolutely. know if the needle's moved if you don't know where the needle is in the first place? And that's a and and that in itself is an indicator of how bad the situation is. That there is no indicator yet. And that, and that also that we're asking the right questions because you know we've we've that's what I'm saying is is surveys have been done before. Like what we're doing isn't categorically new; it's nuanced. So there have been surveys that have happened before. Most recently, the All In survey. And obviously had some quite hard hitting results, you know, for looking at it from a lens of black talent, 13% of the survey and of that 13%, 30% that they said that they would leave the industry in the next two years. So a third of black talent in the industry said, I don't really see myself being here within the next two years. So we're losing incredible skill sets. We're losing so much talent yeah. from people and even in the reporting it reported it as the black community black men black women but it didn't dial down into so what was the percentage of black men black you know what I mean so again when we look at where does black senior leadership black ownership in the UK reside and another stat is that of the top percentile of people in our country one percent is the top percentile and of that 0.01 is black so how do you how do you aspire for greatness if you can't see yourself in abundance you know that you exist you see your counterparts you might actually know one person or maybe two or three people you might be lucky to known loads but if we're not all being amplified together then you're never you're just going to keep batting your head against the wall and I know I'm great I know that sounds really arrogant and I don't mean it in that way but I worked very hard my entire life to get to where I've got to and I'll continue to work very hard I'm raising sons and their livelihood means everything to me so I just want to be afforded the luxury to be great. And Absolutely. yet, if I spoke in this language, which for me is very much where I'm in my 40s now, the switch happened and I basically went, welcome to me, get used to it. Um, <laughs> but before that, we would do respectability politics 
and oh no, you can't say that. Or you know, if a man <laughs> said it, you would never look. You know, no one would ever say anything twice. But if a woman says it, oh, that's you know, you're a bit arrogant. Oh, you know, that came. And it's like, well, no, actually, if you've worked hard to achieve your goals, then shouldn't you be able to be celebrated? So, yeah, there's lots in the works of, you know, what that looks like and um, really how we amplify. But ultimately, more than anything else, it takes a village as a bridge. It's a way to connect those whose voice isn't necessarily always heard with those who have the platforms to amplify those voices. And so it's really kind of just working together with partners and incoming partners on what those communities might look like. How can we amplify the people that they already have, but also who are doing amazing things in our space and how how you should get to know them. I'm a product of being connected to amazing people. You know, one of those amazing people is Madeline McQueen, who I met. Uh, well, I've obviously known, I call her, I call her Uncle David and, and Madeline um, and so known them both for a while. And obviously Madeline created the Compass Club and I heard about it and really just was that point in my career. And I think myself where I felt like I needed that space and it has been such a place of motivation, but also just a safe space for myself. And so it's really about how I can, you know, pinpoint this isn't, this isn't saverism and I'm not the gospel according to everything that's out there. But I think that is the whole point is I don't know what I don't know. We don't know what we don't know. So let's try and connect and collaborate together for the better. Because I think going back to how this all started, it started with someone who absolutely believed in me and has always championed me to be great. And he's a white man. So it's not to say that my black counterparts, my brown counterparts, like it's not to say that we can't all amplify each other. But whilst we're all trying to be great, sometimes people who don't look like you can be the biggest champion that you have in your life. Absolutely. And you might never know it. Absolutely. So it's about how we can also point our community because I would love to, oh, you know, I'd love for this, well, it will be, you know, to be, you know, the most amazing business. But the only way that it will continue to be sustained is if it is funded and supported. And we work in a society where a lot of business, I don't necessarily see a lot of black founders. So we will still live in a very white world when it comes to business. So from my perspective, working together with my village, I will have you know, white supporters, browns, people of all races, all faces, all identities. Like it's when I mean inclusion, that's what I'm talking about. But that you understand it might be a bit more difficult for me. There might be barriers that I face. How are you going to help me break down those barriers? And then how are we going to do that to somebody else? Amazing. Yeah. Wow. I love and I love it. that that I feel part of your village. You know, oh, absolutely. I you are now, Jackie. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Just hold me back. I was going to say, I'm a white man and I think you're brilliant. So there you <laughs> go. Like, like, like David did. So there you go. Boom. Absolutely. Just before you go, because I know Lyle is my wonderful timekeeper and he hates me because I am often extending things out. Something you said right at the beginning of this and when you were talking about that Amazon campaign. 
And you said something which I re- which really resonated with me was I could see me. And that's something that when I mentor young women, I'm mentoring a, a fabulous young lady at the moment, for them to be able to, to say that they can identify with somebody, that they can see somebody else doing what they would like to do, what they would like to achieve. And, and then for that, for me, what you're doing is exactly that, is giving, starting to open those doors for people to be able to see that they can follow you, Chloe, and do, you know, as a trailblazer, you're a great example. You're that person, actually, that people can say, I can see me, Chloe. And I think that's brilliant. Thank you. I, it is the thing that actually cemented it at home, being in agency. I think I'll ever be forever grateful of having, you know, Lucky General's experience was to really understand the behind the scenes and how impactful the work that we do can be. Mm. And I think that was, you know, to really think about Amazon kindness from my own lens, you know, from a woman who is quite clearly going through some kind of mental episode, though it's never actually named, and someone who's dealing with the impact of COVID, someone who is in isolation and feeling lonely. You know, these are all shared commonalities that aren't necessarily just divided by race or not necessarily divided by sex. It was something that we could all see in ourselves. Mm. But to see two Black women and their heritage for a brand like Amazon for their Christmas ad, it's not something that I ever had when I was growing up. And if I did, it was through an American lens. It wasn't necessarily through a British or black British lens. So it really does become powerful when you can see an example of yourself because that then helps fire your dream. That how you think about yourself in your head, if it has a visual representation of it, then you've got so much more to fight for because you can see it. You actually have an inspiration in your mind. It's not just what you imagine, it's out there. And that I think is the thing that is so incredibly important. And I would hope that our industry really cherishes the responsibility and accountability of that because what you can do when we tell people's stories and we tell them right and well can have a ripple effect for generations to come. And that is the most powerful feeling in the world. And that's the responsibility part is to always make sure you honor that because it can, what can be given can be taken away. And, and I think that is the world that we're living in now is that I, I guess I'm, I'm, I will end on the place that I started on, which was my second Amazon Christmas campaign. And Lars, our strat partner, we'd been talking about different ideas and insights. And, you know, we were thinking about what was going on at the time, because at that time, we'd managed to have purpose-led adverts. We weren't actually, like, trying to make purpose-led adverts. They were just the stories that kind of came out. But this time we thought, okay, we'll actually really try for something. And my mum had bought, my mum is glamour to her grandsons, uh, because she says she's too young to be a grandma. (laughs) And, um, I, 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 you can see where I get part of my personality. I love that. I, I, I'll be glam Paul one day. I'd love, I'd love that. 
And um, she bought him this handheld light-up battery-operated snow globe. Had to get four of them because my youngest, Theo, decided that he also liked it. But when Miles likes something, he imprints. So you have to basically get quite a few of them because they break. And so I basically had started telling Loz in our insight session, Miles and his snow globe. And obviously, you know, he's really fascinated with it. It goes everywhere. It's fed. He eats with it, sleeps with it. You know, all these different kind of things. And, uh, you know, you go away. They all, the teams go, gets briefed. Like, you know, I never know which one they're going to go for. I, strangely enough, I'm normally all over a lot of, you know, some of the accounts, but it was very busy. And they kind of just stepped back and Loz said to me, oh, have you seen it? I said, what are you talking about? He said, oh, you know, we did Snow Globe. And I said, oh, okay. And so what started as an insight for Miles is Joy is Made. Wow. Which is an incredible advert that I see my son reflected. It had started with this insight from, obviously, that I was telling Laws about Miles um, and turned into this, you know, amazing advert that there is no mention of neurodiversity, neurodivergence. But if you're a parent with a child with SEN needs, you see it. You know, if you're a single parent, you see part of your struggle. You, you know, if you are someone who just gets that Christmas might be harder or difficult it told you your story and the impact of that will change people's lives it's that serious like being able to see yourself in the mainstream to have a vision of who you could be or what that could look like but also that you're there yeah because oftentimes especially when you are black whenever I would see myself on screen I'm well I'm either the hooker if you're a black man you're the first one to die in a movie or you might be the, you know what I mean like the roles in which to date we are portrayed have not always been kind or have not always been a reflection of who we are and our culture and the celebration of that so the more that you see that in abundance on screen, I think that's the thing is my argument to everybody when they're like, oh, you know, oh my God, but you know, haven't you already, haven't you had enough? And I'm like, no, I will never get enough. I want to see everything. I want to see every type of person, all the colors of the rainbow, all identities. I just understand that some communities have never been able to see themselves like this. And if we can all get hyped up for, you know, Bridgerton and well, I was Pride and Prejudice. Say Bridgerton because Bridgerton, I think, absolutely broke all those barriers down in one fell swoop. It was all the costume drama, all the, you know, you started to see. And Queen Charlotte, Queen Charlotte off the scale good and I've never blubbed like I blubbed at the end of Queen Charlotte and do you know why and this is and this is the part where I talk about accountability is because if you have representation in the front of screen but also behind the screen and working on the casting so Selma Nichols incredible black woman that worked on the casting if you have those people those resources, those teams, your work is only going to be more rich. You're not going to lose out on anything. 
but we also have to understand that for a long time our industry has just been speaking to the choir mm. and if you're telling each other the same mm. thing then you won't know what's different because it's just a circle so we have to we have to expand that out and that's not going to be comfortable but change isn't comfortable mm. and more importantly the thing that I come back to is that thing that I said at the beginning is about strategy is if we have the ability to be people of ethnic diversity black talent in my case then I'm only going to add to your bottom line I'm only going to add to make your business more profitable so when it really comes down to it it's a very simple question do you want to be successful and profitable or do you want to get in your own way and lose out well i for sure want to be successful and profitable as a podcast host and you have added a huge amount to our podcast and i'm also just purely for seo purposes i'm just gonna massively name drop here uh, my wife went to uh, drama school with reggae uh reggae oh, nice. yeah yeah so like she's kind of aware of who he is and had no idea he would be this incredible symbol that oh, he is nice. now but fair enough. chloe we could keep keep going and, we, and I, I know I, I know i say this to all you're of gonna our... have to talk again yeah we, we are because we are gonna have to work on it takes a village oh yeah because we're gonna yeah. like here and like hear an update on it takes a village and oh my god of course but also i mean i have so many questions about sort of being a mother in business as well <laughs> Jackie is a host as well, who's like sort of, I know has loads of questions mm. on that as well. We would absolutely love to chat to you more. If you Anytime. would come back to the podcast, we would be oh my God, love, love to have you have on. It's been great. You, honestly, you two are so great. Oh. I had such a nice time. It's like, you've got such good energy. You're really nice to talk to. Bless Thank you so, so much. It's been absolutely, honestly, you said earlier, you said, oh, I can't get enough of doing this work. I would like to say on behalf of Jackie and myself, we cannot get enough of you. You have been absolutely amazing. Oh, I'm absolutely buzzing when this is going out very, very soon. <laughs> T's and C's before we let you go, listeners, mm -hmm. as ever. So if you would like to get in touch with this, listeners, you can do so by emailing us at info at demozo.com or info at the rest is pr.com. We'll answer both those email addresses. And you can also go to demozo.com for all things demozo. Been up to some excellent, very, very exciting work recently. And long may that continue as we head into the Christmas period, which is mad. I cannot believe it's September already. It's crazy. And you can also head over to the rest is pr.com because I actually this morning, I don't want to date the podcast went and did loads of fun stuff to our website this morning. And I'd love for you to go and check it out. So please do. That's therestispr.com. You can also follow us at The Rest Is PR on Twitter, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. It really is as simple as that. And you can also get in touch with Jackie or myself via LinkedIn. We'll also pick those messages up as well. We're going to link lots of exciting things that Chloe's been up to. It might be the longest set of links I've ever put in an episode <laughs> description because Chloe is literally up to everything. So there you go. And that's just one final piece of embarrassment before we let <laughs> Chloe go thank you so much Chloe it really has been an absolute pleasure Jackie same and time Miles. next week what do you reckon and Miles oh yeah of course Miles thank Come you on. so much Miles for being on the <laughs> podcast that's been an absolute pleasure as well what an absolute legend he is Jackie same time next week what do you reckon 100% brilliant stuff well listeners thank you so much for joining us on the latest episode of The Rest is PR from Chloe from Jackie and from myself take care of yourself it's bye for now